0: Podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, February 9th. On today's show, I want to offer my thoughts on what was likely the last match of Juan Martin Del Potro's career, Del Potro falling to Federico Del Bonas 6163 in Buenos Aires. Of course, it was so great to see Delpo back on the court. And if you watched the match, you could thoroughly enjoy the crowds embracing of Delpo, even when he wasn't playing playing his best tennis. It was electric when Del Potro starts the match with a break of serve. You get hope in your hearts as tennis fans. You think, oh man, is he about to go on some sort of Cinderella run to end his career? Unfortunately, Del ultimately winning six consecutive games, taking a six three-second set, very likely ending the career of Juan Martin Del Potro. And what a career it was for the 2009 U.S. Open champ, a guy who, when healthy, was as good as any player in men's tennis, and that's in an era, of course, that featured Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, all at the peaks of their power. It didn't matter when he was healthy. Delpo was as good as any of them, as good as an Andy Murray, as good as a Stan Wawrinka. and, of course, it's so unfortunate that injuries robbed us of his career. There's a synopsis of what I'm going to talk about here on today's show, but obviously I want to expand my thoughts on that. And then, of course, talk about who's looked good thus far this week on the ATP and WTA Tour for the WTA. We've got the one event happening in St. Petersburg. Thankfully, I believe we've got eight top 30 players as your top eight seeds. Now number three seed Anastasia Pavlichenkova ultimately pulling out of the event before it began. Still, nevertheless, as always, it's a deep event. You know, so many fun early round matches thus far played out and setting up to be a blockbuster finish in St. Petersburg. And, of course, we've got Doha, We've got Dubai, Indian Wells, Miami, all ahead. It's going to be a fun couple of months here for us tennis fans. I want to talk about who's looked good thus far in St. Petersburg, and then, of course, talk about the ATP side, the action happening in Buenos Aires outside of Juan Martin Del Potro. Of course, talk about the action happening at the 500-level event in Rotterdam, the 250 happening stateside here in Dallas as well. Of course, before I can do any of that, I want to remind all of you listeners that the reason these podcasts are made possible day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you and sincerely we are now well past the australian open the numbers we continue to generate for these podcasts better and better and that's a testament to all of you we are so grateful that you stick with us day in day out for your updates on what's happening across levels in the tennis world of course a huge thank you to our patreon family as well helps us pay for things like lighting and food and electricity that allows us to record all of this content and of course we are immensely grateful for the community we have built with them if If you would like to support our efforts, join our Crack Rackets Patreon community. You can do so and find more information about how by going to our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, last but certainly not least, a shout out to uh, our friends over at Tennis Point, best in the business at providing the best equipment at the lowest prices. You go to tennis-point.com right now on check, at checkout. Excuse me, You're going to use our promo code CR15. What do you get with that promo code? You get 15% off all sale items, free, two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. You'll also let them know we sent you there, which we greatly appreciate. Look, Look good, feel good, play good. It's that simple. If you don't feel right in the gear, if you don't feel right about the racket, the strings, the shoes, you're just not going to put out your best performance out on the tennis court. If you want to feel your best, look your best, play your best, turn to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis com. The promo code is CR15. One other note before we get into today's show, and many of you listeners will already be well aware of the fact that college tennis is a level of tennis that is near and dear to our hearts here at Crack Rackets. As such, we are immensely excited to be able to broadcast the 2022 National Indoors, Both the men's and women's events can be able to be found exclusively on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, we'll employ our Red Zone coverage, jumping from court to court throughout the match. Singles, doubles. It's going to be myself and Mike Cation this weekend covering the women. It's going to be myself and Mark Bay in Seattle next weekend covering the men. Should be a very fun four-day event as we crown a national indoor champion here early in the 2022 college tennis season. If you want to hear previews for those events, be on the lookout on our Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, we've got our Deciding Point episodes, our weekly recaps of all the action happening in the college tennis world. If you want to watch those shows, shows you can live on our YouTube channel, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesdays for the women, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursdays for the men. Of course, those shows ultimately turned into Great Shot Podcast episodes, which you can find over on the Great Shot Podcast feed. But again Broadcasts national indoors. Who's the next Danielle Collins? Who's the next Kevin Anderson? Who's the next John Isner? You want to find out that answer. They're likely playing at this year's national indoor event for one of the best teams in the country. So tune in Friday through Monday, our cracked Rackets YouTube channel. We will be covering all of the action. With that said, let's talk about what's happening right now on the ATP and WTA Tour. And we have to start with Juan Martin Del Potro, very likely, according to himself, in the pre- pre-tournament press conference. And of course, if you read the tea leaves, just given the multiple injuries, multiple surgeries that Juan Martin Del Potro has underwent uh, throughout the course of his career, you can understand why, you know, now age 33, he is considering retirement. He is, you know, willing to make this match his final match because, I mean, you look for Juan Martin Del Potro, he's been nursing a knee injury since, uh, you know, really, June of 2019 and you know hasn't played since that June of 2019 and has had multiple surgeries trying to you know get his knee correct and of course has had multiple wrist injuries throughout the course of his career and can't really hit through the backhand comfortably the way he could in 2009 when he took the tennis world by storm and won that first Grand Slam title uh, at the age of 20. He physically he just it's too difficult for him to carry on, for him to carry on especially at a level that he would be comfortable playing at out on court because Juan Martín Del Potro doesn't want to be a show pony, right? He doesn't want to ship off from tournament to tournament to tournament the same way Andy Murray didn't want to ship off from tournament to tournament to tournament if he didn't think it would be feasible for him to have some success to make a career out of what he was doing because, of course, he would be granted a wild card into any event he wants to play, but that's not what Juan Martin Del Potro wants to be doing. And again, physically, if you watch this match, a one and three victory for Federico Del Bonas, I'm not gonna weigh into the you know, people it's platform envy. Anyone who criticizes a Ben Rothenberg tweet, I'm sorry, but you just have platform envy. Like don't let him get under your skin. It's not worth it. I love Ben. He's a close friend here of the show, but like his comment of, you know, way too many drop shots in this match, how could you not feel the pain of Juan Martin Del Potro any and every time Del Delbonis fired in a drop shot on the clay? A, it was difficult for Delpo to change directions. B, it was difficult for him to push off that front leg and get to that drop shot or do anything with it. And thus, you know, it shouldn't be shocking that... You know, for Juan Martín Del Potro again, physically, if you watch this match unfold, even if he lands 70% of his first serves as he did in this match, he only won 55% of his first serve points, and he was just constantly under assault in his service games. It was so difficult for him to get around the ball and find forehands. He was, you know, and just move with any sort of fluidity in the inner or outer thirds of the court, outer thirds of the court, excuse me. And of course, for Juan Martín Del Potro, even post wrist injuries, he has always had that ability to find forehands. On the ad side of the court. Go watch the 2016 Olympics, which I spent far too much time watching in my younger days. I'm still pretty young, but in my younger days, I mean, I've watched the Murray Delpo highlights. I think I have that match memorized. The Delpo-Nadal highlights the passing shot Nadal hits on Love 40. I love that there's an Olympic athlete in Nadal's box who just goes nuts on the forehand down the line passing shot. Delpo hits this inside-out forehand. Rafa passes him to get us to the breakers. Third set, six all to decide the semifinal match. He was... Extraordinary tennis. And, of course, for Delpo, in that Olympic run, he beats Djokovic first round. Djokovic leaves the court in tears because, of course, that Olympic gold medal is something he continues to search for, the one title he doesn't have in his career because Delpo beat him when Djokovic was at the peak of his powers in that 2016 season. That's how good Juan Martin Del Potro is at his best. And, of course, he's a guy who made semifinals twice at the French Open. So indicative of, don't say, well, big man on clay, he's always struggled to move like why, why, why don't we wait for a hard court or wait for, you know, something else? It's like, no, 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 This is a two-time French Open semifinalist, a guy who made a semifinal at Wimbledon as well, two quarterfinals in Australia, but of course so frequently was dealing with health issues both at the end of the season and then they would leak over to the start of a season. You look for Juan Martin Del Potro throughout the course of his career, and perhaps this is the most concerning thing. It's just like, how many Grand Slam main draws did Del play throughout the course of his career? He played 37, 37 throughout the course of his career. That's less than 10 consecutive seasons where, you know, that's just over nine seasons, nine full seasons in a slam. We got to see nine plus one seasons of Juan Martin Del Potro in grand slams. He won one of them. He made semifinals in you know, uh, in three other uh, – or twice the French, once sem- uh, you know Wimbledon, two quarterfinals in Australia. Of course, that doesn't count. You know, we, we talk about the title that he won in the U.S. Open. He also made the final as recently as 2018, getting knocked out by Djokovic, made semifinal there 2017, quarterfinals there 2016, 2012, 2008. I mean he's a guy who had a lot of success throughout the course of his career in the few Grand Slams we saw him play – And just, like, again, how healthy was he for any of these Grand Slams? How many seasons did Juan Martin Del Potro play four Grand Slams since 2009? So, you know, again, he wins his first U.S. Open title 2009. He plays four Grand Slams in a season just three more times since the start of 2010. Four Grand Slams in a season just three times. 2011, 2012, 2018. Since winning his first Grand Slam title, again, you look for him, that first Grand Slam title, U.S. Open 2009, I believe he's played 12, 13, 13 plus 6 is 13 plus 10, 23. He's played 23 Grand Slams since 2010, 23, and I'll leave that all in, Westoff, 23 Grand Slams since 2010. This would have been the prime of his career. Let's be clear, you know, 2009, he's 20 years old when he wins that. In the decade since, the prime of your career, 20 since 33, he's played fewer than 30 slams, did not, was never healthy enough for an extended stretch to get comfortable. And, you know, the one season he is healthy in the prime of his career, that 2000, you know, the two seasons, I'd say 2012, he makes fourth week, uh, round or further in every slam he plays, three quarterfinals, 2018, third round, semifinal, quarterfinal, final. The two seasons we saw Delpo healthy in his prime, he competed in the game's biggest events and obviously goes to the uh, to Indian Wells and you know makes a big run there. What was that? 2018, I believe, or 2019 when he makes his big. Right, it would have been 2018 when he makes his big run uh, to Indian Wells and. You know, he wins the title in Indian Wells and knocks out Roger Federer in the final in three sets despite the fact that Federer served for the match in the decider and had three championship points. Del goes on to win that match in 2018. We know how good Juan Martin Del Potro could be at his best. It's a crime that we weren't able to see it. At the same time, like... Again, you can understand his decision. You just want Juan Martín del Potro to feel healthy. And I know I'm not offering any new information to many of you listeners. And that's why, you know, I have not fired off the tweet on social media. I don't have much to add uh, to to the dialogue that's already out there. There's a reason unanimous approval rating for Juan Martín del Potro. He is not a guy who anyone has anything negative to say. And, you know, of course, early in his career, there was some ferocity. And there's just, you know, there's a stubbornness to Del Potro. That stubbornness is why he continues to to try to come back after every injury because he refuses to quit he refuses to give up he knows just how talented he is that forehand one of the elite forehands in men's tennis history one of the elite forehands in tennis history period just it's a shame it, it's obviously it sucks at the same time do we want to see del potro labor on the court and these sorts of performances month after month when we know he isn't healthy no we want him to go out on his terms this feels like it's as close to his terms as we are going to get. you know again, you feel bad for uh, Federico del Bonus, who was just trying to get through the match, just trying to win it, and obviously the crowd was going to vehemently be supporting uh, Juan Martin del Potro, but you know in the end, del Bonus, one and three victory, he advances, likely the last match in the career of Juan Martin del Potro. Although who knows, hopefully like Andy Murray, we can find some way through modern medicine to heal the Del Potro knee, maybe get him a bionic wrist as well no one is going to speak an ill word about Juan Martin Del Potro particularly those people my age you know if you were Juan Martin Del Potro 2009 September you know I'm 13 years old when he's winning that grand slam title and i believe i was literally 13 years old the week i think on my birthday because it was early that week was when he cracked the top 10 for the first time in his career was of course the week of my bar mitzvah who forgets what happens the week of their bar mitzvah but you know del was the guy if you know, you were rejecting the Murray. You know, because two thousand nine wasn't quite the big three, big four era yet. And so, if you were rejecting of the dichotomy that was, it was either Federer camp or Nadal camp. And it was, you know, at that point, you're thirteen you're a fan. You're not an analyst, and so you think to yourself, well, I don't want to be either of those guys. Why do I have to be Federer? Why do I have to be Nadal? I want to be different. For me, Murray was the one I gravitated towards. For a lot of people, it was Djokovic. For others, it was Delpo. And You know, again, early on, it did feel like it was those three guys, Djokovic, Murray, Del Potro, that were the three guys best suited to challenge the Nadal, you know, Federer hierarchy. And certainly Djokovic more so, you know, did more so than anyone. uh, But obviously Murray had his run and it felt like Del Potro would have certainly had been in the mix there as well. I mean, just go to the matches where Delpo multiple times at the Olympics knocks off Novak Djokovic, the success he had over the years in the big matches, on the biggest stages. It was always fun to watch Juan Martin Del Potro compete. So again, a credit to him for an incredible, incredible career. Let's move on from Del Potro now and talk about the other events happening. Who's looked good so far this week on the ATP and WTA Tour since we started with Del Potro? Let's start in Buenos Aires. Yes, you know, Del Bonas looks pretty solid, did what he had to do to earn that victory thus far. Standout performances, we talked about it a bit yesterday with Nate Walrith of Tennis Point. I thought Sebastian Baez, you know, Holger Rune really couldn't hurt him. And obviously, I think Rune back on the clay, which is right now the surface he's most comfortable on, just gives him a little bit more time with his bigger backswing on the forehand, comfortable sliding around the court, improvisation, strength in the outer thirds, and yet Baez worked him. Like, it was really difficult for Rune to consistently hurt Sebastian Baez or find anything easy throughout the course of that match. And again, Baez, 5'6", 5'7", 140 pounds soaking wet, sneaky pop on everything he does, so strong. You can see it in the legs and just his explosion into the ball, the depth he's able to generate, Extraordinary mover as well on this clay court. Comfortable moving forward, uses space around the court so well, attacking that open space. Obviously, he was a guy. What was it? Five challenger titles last season uh, on the ATP Challenger Tour on clay. Makes the Next Gen Finals, gets a good first round win here. Obviously, made quarterfinals, I believe, last week as well. Bias is making his move. Into the top 75, and of course you can understand why he makes the decision to go play the South American clay court as he's trying to make a top 75, top 60 push. Once he is comfortably in the top 60, then I think we do see him starting to play more hard court events. Obviously, now he's going to get into all the slams on his own ranking, which is really the jump you're trying to make when you're 21, 22 years old, as Sebastian Baez is. So, been really impressed with the young Argentinian. That was a very impressive win over Holger Rune in round one. Was a good win from Ymir Kasmanovic over Laszlo Dure. Just Kasmanovic out to him. And it's nice to see him take that confidence you know, from the Australian Open. Drops the second set, 6-1, but then takes the third, 6-1. You know, That's a confident performance. I, I thought Francisco Serendolo played well against Facundo Bagnes. Nice to see him swinging freely, showing off those weapons. Good win for Pedro Martinez over last week's ch- uh, finalist, Alejandro Tabilo. Though Tabilo bit gassed in the legs. Martinez made him pay for that fact. And then Hami Munar, who's just a menace right now, and I thought sneakily looked really, really impressive throughout uh, the Australian Open. I know he loses that match to Karatsev in five sets where Karatsev makes over 100 errors. But Munar physically is locked in, changes direction so well. Again, sneaky pomp for a guy who doesn't have the biggest size and will, if he beats you to this spot and you're a little bit lazy, go up the line, make you pay. It's setting up to be a really fun week. You look right now, round of sixteen in Buenos Aires, still the favorite, Caspar Ruud, who we've yet to see play, forty-two point four percent. Schwartzman, your number two seed, twenty point three percent favorite. But you look across the board, the only matches that aren't under, you know, the sixty forty threshold via Tennis Abstracts forecast is Ruud versus Carbeas Mania and Schwartzman versus Munar everything else is 60-40 or closer you've got 50.9 to 49.1 Kasmenovic baez Biasinego 52-48, lajevic coria 52-48 and you know even Fodnini Martinez is you know 56-44 tight across the board in Buenos Aires. Yes, it feels early for the clay court action. Nevertheless, we have it on our hands over in South America. With that said, let's move to St. Petersburg, and again, it's still early here, and I'm recording this midday on Wednesday. Thus, I've gotten to see the round of 16. Five matches unfold. All your seeds advance on the day, and credit to them, man, and in particular, Lena Rabakina. She looks healthy once again. Was not at the end of the Australian Open, two-and-win over Gracheva, indoor hardcourt, her serve, her forehand, her power tennis, taking the return early on the rise. I stand by my take from the start of the season. She's going to make a top-ten push this year. Annette Contevet continues to roll, and she was pushed by Serana Kirstea. 6-4, win for Contevet Kirstea, who's made third round or further in four of the last five slams. Just taking the ball early on the rise. Swinging confidently, bunting down that ball flat and early, and just you know making opponents uncomfortable, but Contave so fit right now was able to track down all the first strikes Kirstea threw at her. You know, again, her because she's getting to that ball earlier, her strength in those corners, the backhand on the run, cross court. If you if you go forehand down the line, you better get that ball by her because otherwise, she's hitting the backhand cross court, and you have now lost all positioning in this in the point. And you know, again, Kirstea pushed Contave though looked very much like a top ten player. Four and five win over a very much informed Kirstea. Ditto, by the way, with Maria Sakri, 2-4 and four win over Alexandrova, straight set win over Potapova in her first round match. Potapova was swinging freely, as was Alexandrova, and Sakkari was able to make the match physical. Early on, just extended rallies, and Potapova was on fire. In, in set number one of their match, runs out to a 4-1 lead. And yet, Sakura didn't panic. She stayed calm, stuck to her plays, attacked when she could. Good wins for her here. Maria Sakura is in danger of falling out of the top 10 because semifinal points in Miami, semifinal points at Roland Garros, you know, again, didn't have the best back half of the season, but has a lot of points to defend between now and then. So this is a good run for her into the quarterfinals here in St. Petersburg, Man, is Belinda Bencic striking the ball well. That match, her and Matova round one, that's as good as it gets, folks. And that's a first-round match, which is just a testament to the depth and the talent right now in the women's game. But, man, if Bencic gets a racket on the ball, she can hit any ball for a winner down the line cross-court early on the rise. She plays front foot tennis. She's not going to be great in the outer thirds, anticipates well, and can take the ball on the rise in defensive positions but isn't a defensive player by any stretch of the imagination and yet she's done the dictating and she has been on fire since the start of last year's grass court season. That's the other issue for Sakari is it's not only does she have a lot of points to defend but Benchich, Kerber, you know, obviously Radikanu, Paula Bedosa, all these players, massive runs at the end of the year, you know. They don't have—you know, everything before then is just free free add-ons. You think of a tomorrow's dance, it's got nothing to defend between now and the French Open. Sakari does have some points to defend. Benchich does not. Great result for her to get to the quarterfinal. Then Elise Mertens, who— you know, again, was pushed in round one against Alize Cornet, pushed in round of 16 against Petra Martic. And you know, if you don't have an overwhelming weapon, she's just going to stick around, scratch, claw, and then eventually take that ball early on the rise, put you in just enough defensive positions to get by you. Now, again, does she have the overwhelming weapon, the ability to win free points easily? No. But she's as tough of an out as you're going to find. Point in, point out, match in, match out. Has a lot of options on court. Mertons advancing to your quarterfinals. Field's pretty tight across the board here in St. Petersburg. Now, Annette Conteve, according to Tennis Abstract, 33.6% favorite. after that. Sakari, 18.5. Benchich 9.7. Rabakina, 9.9. Burtons, seven, Kvitova, 8.3. Ostapenko, 7.0. After that, you get into the decimal range. Yeah, they think a seed's gonna win. That's a novel concept, Jeff Sackman in tennis abstract, but it of course Conteva, given her recent form, anecdotally and I think mathematically, gonna be the favorite. That Rabakina, uh, you know, I would take Rabakina to advance out of that top half. I think that's the value play there. Her weapons when she's clicking and she looks healthy. Just again, look out, uh, rest of the tennis world. With that in mind, let's move on now to Rotterdam, and we talked yesterday about Pass with Nate, and we talked about Rublev with Nate as well. You look at some of the results that have filtered in since then, really nice wins for a couple of guys in need of them. Lorenzo Musetti now 9-18 in his last 27, but gets a big win over Hubi and the eye test says it. Go watch Musetti's match last week against Camille, against Camille Maichak, a match he loses in three sets, or go watch his first-round match this week as Musetti knocked out Mikhail Emer in three sets, now three sets over Hercats. He's just swinging more freely, and physically he's locked in, as he always has been, but now has the confidence to step up earlier in the point and just take that ball on the rise, show off the shot-making, show off the combination of strength and speed, and you know, he's clearly adjusting a bit to the speed of the game as well. It's a nice three-set win for him over Hercots. You would think Hercots, leave it in with his size, with his aggressive mentality, his willingness to move in behind a good approach shot. You figure just keep firing approaches honestly, into the forehand wing of Lorenzo Musetti. And you f- figure Hercots, particularly on an indoor hardcourt, would have a massive advantage in court positioning. And yet, you know, again, Musetti made this match physical. And Musetti just put enough extra balls in play. You know, kept her- made Hercots doubt himself that little extra bit when Hurkacz would move forward. Three-set win for Lorenzo Musetti. Three-set win for Alex Diemenauer as well. 7-6, 1-6, 6-4 over Mackey McDonald. I mean, the Demon's just finally healthy, and he's swinging confidently. And again, he and Mackie, very similar game styles. Both guys so explosive both in the outer thirds of the court. Both guys going to snap a forehand by you when you least expect it. Both guys sneaky, more solid, though, on the backhand wing, going to put a ton of returns in play. This is very much a Spider-Man meme sort of match, and it was electric, and it was physical. That's a really good win for Demon, who's slowly now finding his way back into form. You look for Demon Hour here now to start the season. Obviously got the big ATP Cup win Over Berrettini, beats Umber there. Fourth round for him in Australia before getting knocked out by Sinner. Now wins over Goffin and Mackie McDonald to advance to the quarterfinals here in Rotterdam. Great start uh, for the Demon uh, to his season. Again, you know, some of the other later matches, FAA, a three-set win over Jerasimov. Nice for him to find his rhythm in the match. Ivashka, good win over Lloyd Harris, who has not looked great to start this year. Good wins for Fuchovic, for Botik Vandesen, Shkulp, Sun Wukwan, over all matchups that all should have won, and they ultimately end up doing so you know, again, it's still early here in Rotterdam. Bublik Mahout playing right now, and, you know, I know we've got other matches here today. Nori going to take on Hatchnov later on as well, and, you know, things get spicy as we get into the round of 16 because you look at some of the matchups on the board. Uh, Certainly, uh, excuse me, as we get towards the round of 16 quarterfinals as well, you know, certainly the idea of, a uh, And I believe now, you know, Demon Hour is going to play the winner of Tsitsipas Ivashka. Tsitsipas Ivashka, pretty darn fun. Lachetschka, BVDZ, I like that one, you know. Uh, FAA versus the winner of Murray Bublik. That should be fun. Fuchovic, Jagritspur, Quan Rublev. ATP 500 action, folks. That's the name of the game, of course. Finally, you've got the action happening in Dallas. Still early. You know, round of 32 now officially in the books. Nishioka knocks off the hometown kid, Mitchell Kruger 4-4, Nishioka looked dead at the end of the Cleveland Challenger for him to come back two days later, win a physical 4-4 and 4 match, Nishioka played 10 matches in two weeks in Ohio, wins the Columbus Challenger, finals the Cleveland Challenger, now into the round of 16 out of 250, one win away from getting back into the ATP Top 100. Really nice win for Yuri Rodianov. 764661, the lefty, big server, former Dallas Challenger champion. Knocks out Maxime Cressy, your number six seed, and just found answers. Was more dynamic from the baseline and could match Cressy in the service department. That's the recipe, folks. Credit to Rodianov. Big confidence gaining win. Marcos Girón gets his first win of the season. Just Sandgren didn't have a weapon to hurt him. Girón found his rhythm. That's the best match he's played all season. Oh, You look at some of the other results, we've touched on them already. Sock, good win over Oscar Ota. He also physically just didn't look great in Cleveland for him to get that win after having COVID in Columbus. You know, good for him to find his legs again steve three sets over kudla that one certainly hurts you know brody straight set win over gojewitz nice for him to bounce back after a disappointing cleveland for by his standards now that was a great win by guy Gall- by galano but obviously brody would have expected to win that match still round of 16 now about to come up uh, underway here in dallas and you look uh across the board fun matchup sock fritz i'm in on that you know Uh, Thompson-Nakashima should be physical. Isner-Anderson, no thank you, but I'm sure there is some appeal there for some. A lot of fun action potentially to unfold over in Dallas. But that's where things stand right now. Through a couple of days of this ATP and WTA Tour week, of course, I'm about to head off to Madison to begin our coverage of the 2022 National Indoor Championships. Nevertheless, we will have many breaks for all of you listeners, whether it's covering the pro tennis I will do my best to do that. Certainly we'll cover all of the action we see unfold in Madison as well. Of course, for all of your updates, you guys know where to go. Our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at crackrackets. If you want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Grusk. And, of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, Great Shot Podcast, Crack Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of our content. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com, the promo code. Code is CR15 with all of that said for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here, both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.